midwife calling. Hello and welcome to Poplar Opinion, a Call the Midwife podcast, where we watch every episode of Call the Midwife one by one and talk about them without spoilers. I'm Jan Moffat. I'm Dr. Paula Moffat. Not that kind of doctor. And this week we're talking about the second episode of the second season of Call the Midwife. Nope. The first episode of the second season. Oh, right. Because the Christmas special doesn't really count as an episode. That was episode zero. Exactly. So today we're talking about the first real episode of the second season of Call the Midwife. Yes, indeed. This episode was directed by Philippa Lothorpe and written by Heidi Thomas. They're the same people who wrote and directed the Christmas special, and Heidi Thomas, of course, created Call the Midwife and is the showrunner. So should we get into the episode? Yes, take us, take us away, take it away, take us into it, take it into us, take, go. All right, <laughs> I will go then. <laughs> We begin with our Mature Jenny narration, as usual. Mature Jenny narrates about her journey into womanhood and men as a concept. As Jenny rides with with the dock workers on her bicycle, she celebrates her birthday and then goes out with the nurses to a movie. The next day, Sister Evangelina gives out assignments and braiding Trixie for her lateness. At the clinic, Dr. Turner demonstrates how gas and air, or nitrous oxide, works on Chummy, who finds it very relaxing. Sister Evangelina disapproves, criticizing Dr. Turner's methods to Sister Bernadette. Jenny notices Molly Brignall has not come to the clinic several times, and visits her at home to find her with an abusive husband, Richie. The other midwives confirm that her house used to be in shape due to her mother, Chummy and Cynthia go to a birth, uh, Bella, who demands gas and air from Dr. Turner. Molly's mother, Mrs. Gray, tells Jenny of Molly's childhood and current life with her husband, and later sneaks into her house after her husband leaves to clean. When Richie comes home, he's upset to find both Jenny and Molly's mother there. He kicks both of them out, and Jenny comes back to find him threatening to burn Molly with a cigarette. When they try to report it to the police, Molly won't press charges, and Sister Julianne doesn't want to do anything to jeopardize Molly's care. Meanwhile, Dr. Turner is overrun with women asking for gas and air. Sister Evangelina eventually banishes Dr. Turner from bringing it to home deliveries, and the nuns and nurses discuss how he is overworked and missing a button from his coat. <laughs> so the overall theme that Jenny talks mentions in this first narration she talks about herself coming into womanhood but she also talks about the idea of men and they're at a movie watching and she's like we dealt with women we were in a women's world men were like someone to marry eventually someone not to what she says exactly does she say she says men made mainly they made work for us yes exactly uh, whether that's work, like the kind of flirty work, or whether it's uh, midwife work or whatever, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. men mainly made work for us. And the the visual that this episode opens on with Jenny on a bicycle surrounded by all the men on bicycles. Mm-hmm. And it's like, on one hand, we talked all through season one was all about Jenny being uh, part of the world mm-hmm. part of their world in poplar uh and that we kind of see that her in the middle of them but on the other hand this starts with like she's a part of poplar but she is not part of the men's world mm. and she's not one of them it's like it's not quite as striking an image but it's uh similar effect to that great scene from the beginning of the show Agent Carter where Peggy Carter is walking along down the street wearing her red hat and all the men are wearing their black hats and she just stands out as 
it's not quite as visually arresting, but it's the same effect. Mm-hmm. I think it was an interesting way to start. Uh, the first season started with Jenny walking into the East End, and the second season starts with her already in, mixing with them, right alongside them, working with them. So I feel like there's a really a strong parallel there, too, is she, that she is. She's right in there. She's mm-hmm. in the East End now. This is going to be a different season. This isn't Jenny as an outsider coming in. This is Jenny inside now. But you're right in that she's also... She's not in that man's world either. And there's a real, I mean, you said it, uh, this whole episode is going to be very strongly about women and men. Mm-hmm. And kind of this whole show is, but this episode especially. This is an episode about women and men, and the kind of thesis of the episode, men mainly made work for us, even the men that we like. Mm-hmm. Which in this episode, there aren't a ton of men we like in this episode. No. But even the men that we like on this show mainly make work for the women. Mm-hmm. The men in this episode that we like, we've, we will, maybe we can get to it right now because it was in the part you recapped, is yeah. Dr. Turner we mm-hmm. like. But we see it with Dr. Turner. Dr. Turner is making more work for himself and for the midwives yeah. by like this gas and air and it's great and uh, it ends up causing more work for everyone. Mm-hmm. And he thinks that he's helping and he wants to help and he's well-intentioned and he's... But what uh, Sister Evangelina says about him is he's always got some new scheme ever since his wife died. Yeah. And that just makes more work for the women. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll definitely touch on that all through this episode is mm-hmm. men. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to talk, since we've started... Uh, do you want to talk about Dr. Turner and the gas and air in this section? Sure. Because, as you said in your recap, as you alluded to in your recap, um, Dr. Turner wants, like, shows the uh, women, and especially shows Bella, particularly, gas and air, uh, nitrous oxide, and how it works and how great it is. And he's very gung-ho about it. Mm -hmm. And there's some... It's not the first time we've seen Dr. Turner as kind of a representative of uh, medical innovation. We see that in the way that he talks about birth control. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the show is is very much, like, with him. Mm -hmm. And this episode, there's this tension... uh, between Sister Evangelina, who says, like, nitrous oxide, this is a bad idea. It's cruel to show these women pain relief that they can't have. It's just going to encourage them to want to ask for it when you can't give it to them. Mm-hmm. And the midwives and Sister Bernadette disagree and are like, you know, this, uh, what is exactly... I mean, there's, and then Chummy also is a bit like the midwives also. Chummy doesn't want Dr. Turner taking over birth when the women are like, maybe doctor could come and, and give the nitrous oxide back when he's showing it to them. Chummy's like, doctor only comes when it's an emergency. We will take care of the birth. Yeah. Uh, and then there's, so there's this sense of like, Doc, Chummy does not want men involved in birth. Mm-hmm. Does not want the doctor to be a part of how birth normally works. Dr. Turner kind of does because he's all excited about this newfangled stuff. And there's this like, when Bella calls for Dr. Turner, does that prove Sister Evangelina's point? Showing the pain relief and not giving it to her was cruel? Or does it prove Sister Bernadette's point that the gas exists, so why not give it to her? Yeah. I think it proves Sister Bernadette's point. I think it pr- proves both of their points, but I think that uh, there is pain relief exists, and yeah. pain relief can make childbirth better uh, in a lot of ways. And maybe it's cruel to just say no, you can't have any pain relief at all. Um, however, if they want the pain relief, they should go to the maternity home. And so it's a whole thing of like, if you're going to have your baby at home, you're getting the comfort of being home at the expense of the comfort of extra pain relief. 
And yeah. the same is true right now in the world. Sister Evangelina's so, against them going to the maternity home. Yes, and that's also true. So there, there's a perspective of all births should be home births and uh, the medicalization of birth at all is terrible. However, uh, later on in the episode, she'll be kind of... No, I don't know. I don't know if she's proved wrong because they do fix it. We could maybe hold off to say what yeah, happens at the we'll end of the episode. Yeah, we'll, we'll hold on for a second. But it is... I think it, it is a difficult line because it's true that like he can't come with the gas and air. They can't carry the gas and air on their bicycles. These babies have to be delivered at home most of the time. They don't have room in the maternity home for you know, the hundred women that give birth every month. I think Sister Evangelina has a real point, but I think Sister Bernadette has a real point in that, like, some pain relief is helpful, and but there needs to be a line between they can't carry gas and air on their bicycles. They can't, and Dr. Turner can't come with his car to every hundred births in that area, and so there has to be some kind of compromise, and this is the time this is the era of changing from home births to hospital births. And it's that kind of wiggly gray area. So it's true that it's a bit, it is a bit cruel to show them this like pain relief that they can't really have. And that Dr. Turner comes to what, like let's say 10 births and gives them this gas and air. And then never again, sister Evangelina yeah. is like, Nope, you're banned. You're not doing this for home births anymore. And so the next woman who goes into labor, who heard from her friends about the gas and air doesn't get to have it no matter how much pain she's in. And we have Bella saying after she has it, like I'm telling everyone about this. Just you wait. They'll all be wanting it. And yeah, exactly. They do. Yeah. And it's like, I really see the, con- the, uh, difficulty mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. of course they all will be wanting it yeah exactly like, if you have an option of pain relief when you're in pain the, you're pretty much going to take it right i just the other thing i want to say about uh while we're talking about molly is just there's a little not molly sorry while we're talking about bella there's just a little moment when the midwives arrive and her husband is outside and he's like I'm going out for a meat pie. It didn't seem right to ask her to make me a sandwich now. Yeah. <laughs> it's another, like, men. <laughs> I know, right? Like, he's, it's, like, that much is all we see of him. Like, five seconds. Mm-hmm. And uh, Belle is not a huge part in the episode at all. No. Herself. But he's this little picture of, like, this is, he's another kind of best case scenario man yeah exactly the best case scenario man goes out to make himself a meat pie because he it wouldn't be right to ask his wife to make him a sandwich while she's actively in labor Mm -hmm. and like the sense of the low bar of what counts as a best case scenario man in this episode exactly and who's like bella has other children yeah we saw that earlier in the clinic and so who's taking care of her children Neighbor women, her mother, who Not knows? Not their father. Not their father, though. Their father's going out to the pub to get a meat pie. So, like, yeah, the bar for men, you're right, is incredibly low. Yep. Except for, for Dr. Turner. It's true. So, if in all the men we have in this episode, we have Dr. Turner, who is working his butt off. And despite the fact that he maybe we're disagreeing with some of his things in this episode. He is not operating to a low bar. He is hitting a very high bar for competence and, but he's still not reaching, being able to do everything because he's a single father widower raising his young son and being the most, the busiest doctor in the world. And we saw in the Christmas episode that like he's struggling with that and they put mm-hmm. that in words this episode. Yeah. Like there's a button missing on his coat and he doesn't know how to, how to fix it. Yeah. And last episode, he's, you know, getting Timmy fish and chips, Timothy fish and chips because he doesn't know how to cook. Mm-hmm. Like that's explicitly said. He doesn't know how to yeah. cook. He is doing his best uh, with good intentions and hard work and his best emotional job to take care of timothy but he does not have the skills required to give timothy the care that timothy really needs exactly exactly we don't see actually that this episode but Mm -hmm. himself too like his ratty coat yeah all right so let's go back to uh 
the other major, major plot in this episode, which is Molly Bricknell. Yes. So Molly is so soft-spoken, and she's the picture of an abused wife. Yeah. But uh, I think I feel like this show demonstrates so well what we often don't see in abusive situations, which is her love for him. Mm-hmm. Like, why wouldn't she leave is the case, is the phrase people often say about abused women. And here we see, well, she's not leaving because she loves him. She thinks he protects her. She'll do, you know, she feels like she owes him some sort of debt that's unclear, but like, she loves him. And it's... uh situation that Jenny has never seen before and we don't often see on TV that level of devotion to an abusive husband. I'm like, frankly, what we see from her, except for her meekness and like, uh, you know, she has been cowed, but I think the way she's playing it is similar to the way, uh, what's her name? (laughs) That the episode where she got, uh, eclampsia where they're oh they're uh, like david and margaret jones. david and margaret jones where they're like so in love there's a way that molly is playing similar to how margaret plays mm. her part that like she's so devoted to her husband and in that case it was like they're devoted and loving to each other mm-hmm. and to see kind of the same it played the same way on her end. Yeah, you're right. That's why it just reminded me that, like, we have seen... I mean, Margaret's a much spunkier person. Mm-hmm. Uh, package imagine that Molly once was. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And the moment, too... Like, this uh, this plotline is harrowing. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moment where he is, like, yelling... With the first moment where the, we have them... Uh, he's yelling at her through the door, and then when Jenny comes in, he's all, like, polite and, mm-hmm. like, Get her a cup of tea. Oh, but anything for her. Anything for her. But, like, Jenny and we have heard yeah. the, like, light switch of his of his behavior. Mm-hmm. That he's so... He's a different person when uh, she's not watching. Mm-hmm. Or when he doesn't know that she's watching. Yeah. And by the end of even the section that you just recapped, he mm-hmm. kind of shows that face to in front of Jenny. Yeah, exactly. He threatens to burn Molly. Yeah. It's uh Yeah, it's it's an uh, it's an interesting portrayal. I I definitely have never seen anything like it and I I think it's important to show to give to let people remember to have sympathy for women in this situation and uh that it's how difficult it is to leave and how difficult it is to convince women to want to leave yeah when when they see the the sweetness like she sees him being sweet to her and bringing her a cup of tea and so that kind of oh well that makes up for the fact that he was just yelling at me clearly he does love me mm-hmm. and clearly yeah it's oh it's difficult and uh i like jenny's conversation with mrs gray molly's mm-hmm. mother when she's like i i don't want to pry but I need part of my job is to pry. Yeah. So I need to pry into this. Yeah, that way of putting it that one of the worst parts of my job is that I sometimes need to pry. Mm -hmm. I am going to pry right now. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And that. Yeah. And this is the long reaching effects of World War Two in this is that we make that point clearly right yeah molly was sent off to the country to during the blitz which i mean if you've read narnia that's something that (laughs) you've heard about or you know lots of fiction talks about it too and uh she was bitter towards her mother for doing that and her mother was doing what she thought was the right thing and it's just this 
her mother's like, I thought we could just pick up the pieces and continue on after the war. And we couldn't. And these traumatic world events have long reaching effects. And we're, heck, we're in one right now. I know, right? That's going to have long reaching effects. And, uh, and so it's, uh, yeah, it's important to note that. And it's, I, I just like the way they show how these situations don't just appear out of nowhere. Yes. Molly has a long history and it starts with World War II. Yeah, it starts. A traumatic childhood. And by the end of the episode, uh, we'll talk about it maybe when, again when it comes up. But Mrs. Gray talks about, like, if Molly's a bad mother to Lorraine, it's because I was a bad mother to her. Like, it's all comes back in Mrs. Mm-hmm. Gray's mind to herself. Yeah. The other thing about this whole story, this whole plot, uh, Jenny is so, once again, not for the first time, we have this tension between Jenny being, like, full of bristly, self-righteous indignation. That, like, how could they possibly, anyone possibly have approved that place? It was so, such a hovel. And they're all Mm -hmm. at the table and, like, Cynthia's like, I'm the one who approved it, and mm. it was good when I did. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yet, we also, not for the first time, are showing that, like, Jenny's kind of sometimes uh, blind, righteous indignation also leads her again and again to, like, taking action that is for the good, uh, eventually, when she gets a little bit of instruction Mm -hmm. and i like to again we have one of sister julianne's really excellent uh bits of guidance for jenny that like she says molly is so pitiful and sister julianne says we are not here to pity we are here to serve and that distinction Mm -hmm. like i really brought me up when i was watching the episode yeah we're not here to pity, we're here to serve. I like that distinction. Yeah, that's an interesting distinction. And it's, we can, we have seen it before in how Sister Julienne and how the, like, philosophy of Nanao's house has been. Mm-hmm. Ah. Uh, I really like that. One last thing of this section, we, the another plot line starts in this section that's going to get more developed later on in the episode and it's Trixie and Sister Evangelina mm-hmm. uh, are mad at each other. Yeah. And I don't know, like, that. there's a lot more to say about that later on, but we have that starting right at the beginning of the episode that Trixie leaves, huffs off in a huff that Sister Evangelina is being too hard on her. And I really like the moment when uh, Fred's like, oh, deep down it's just hot air. And Trixie says, the trouble, Fred, is deep down I know it isn't. Yeah. I like that a lot, too. Is that she knows that she's right. Why she's Trixie is so mad at Sister Evangelina is because Trixie believes that Sister Evangelina is right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Chummy and Peter talk about their work in bed. Chummy noticing a posting about Sierra Leone. Jenny tries to care for Molly but finds the door barred and has to talk to her through the letter slot. Mature Jenny narrates about not knowing that love could be so wrong and has a talk with Chummy. Sister Bernadette has new glasses and the nurses fawn over her. Molly goes into labor and drops her daughter off with her mother before meeting Jenny at the maternity home. Meanwhile, a call comes in that there's someone in labor on a cargo ship. Sister Evangelina and Trixie go to the ship. Sister Evangelina is suspicious and critical of a German ship captain. The two of them climb up the side of the ship on a rope ladder, Sister Evangelina dislocating her shoulder as they climb. They find a young woman, Kirsten, in labor in a tiny ship cabin. She's the captain's daughter who has been servicing all the men. Meanwhile, Molly gives birth in the maternity home, and when Jenny puts the baby boy on her chest, she has a large burned bruise. On the ship, Kirsten is moved to a bigger room and begins to push. 
Trixie finds the cord has prolapsed. Trixie panish, panics, but then stands up for herself, using a chair to lift Kirsten's pelvis and push the cord back in place, with Sister Evangelina coaching. Trixie delivers the baby, a girl, to Kirsten. As the baby cries, the sailors sing a song, and Kirsten is happy to have a friend forever. Ugh. Where would you like to start? Should we start with Chummy? Let's just start with Chummy. Just just wanted to make note that she is, in season one when she was introduced, she was going to be a missionary. And so she's reading the postings. I'm not sure exactly what she's reading. I can't remember, like some sort of yeah, paper or whatever. Position postings. Position postings. And she sees one in Sierra Leone. And it's like, oh, in another life, that would be me. And she's kind of, what you can tell she's wanting it. Later on, she talks with Jenny about... You know, oh, if I ever move, go away from here. And Jenny's like, are you going away from here? Oh, no, no, no. But there's, there's seeding here, something that's going to happen in future episodes. Yeah, I mean, even in this episode, we can see that Chummy is still dreaming of Africa. Mm-hmm. That she says, in another life, it would have been what I would want. My wanderlust is totally satisfied by going to two blocks away on honeymoon. But mm-hmm. we know that that's not... We can see that that's not true because she is thinking about it and talking about it with more than just Peter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Their conversation, Chummy and Jenny's conversation, mm-hmm. uh, Chummy's part of it is like, I kind of would like to go off to Africa still. Jenny's part of it is talking about Molly and reflecting on Molly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Jenny, Jenny connects Molly's situation to her and her plot from season one mm-hmm. with, uh, what's his Gerald. name? Gerald. I really actually like, it's one of the few times that I like mentioning Gerald and his plot. Mm-hmm. I mostly find that plot stupid. <laughs> yeah, she says, I never loved a brutal man. I loved a wrong one. And it was hard to get out of that. Yeah. And she says, like, it was so hard and he was never mine. Mm-hmm. And it's like she's really recognizing she's not bringing that up to like judge Molly for uh, how I never loved a brutal man. Mm-hmm. She's saying like it was way easier for me to break it off with Gerald than it is for Molly to leave her husband who she has a yeah, two daughter with, with and another kid on the way. Yeah. Uh, and it was incredibly hard for me when Gerald was never mine at all. Right? Yeah. I absolutely. like that perspective. And I like Jenny having some empathy, uh, which is something that I think she gets better at through the course of this mm-hmm. show. Yeah. Like, she has sympathy from the beginning. Mm-hmm. But empathy and, like, seeing where someone else is coming from is something she is getting better at. Yes, absolutely. Uh, do you want to... Sp- they're listening to the nuns sing. Do you want to speak to that song at all? They sing... The oh, the nuns are singing a song from Compline uh, or a common song in Compline. It's Talus's canon, actually, mm. that they're singing the, the melody. Um... And it's beautiful, both the words and the song, the musically, it's beautiful. It made me kind of cry just from the beauty of it, overlapped over the pathos of the situation. Mm-hmm. They just sing the first verse. There's five verses. Uh, they sing the first verse. Glory to thee, my God, this night for all the blessings of the light. Keep me, O oh, keep me, King of Kings, beneath thine own almighty wings. Um, and the like... All the songs that we have, like all the prayers and songs that we have in Compline, mm-hmm. they're about, uh, there is a suggestion of death. There is a sense of uh, penance. So the next verse is, forgive my Lord for thy dear son, the ill that I this day have done, that with the world, myself and thee, I ere I sleep at peace may be. And the, they don't, we don't hear them sing that verse, but that's the next verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other theme that comes through Compline always is the theme of protection. Hmm. And that's the second part of the verse that I did, that we do hear, 
keep me beneath thine own almighty wings. And the juxtaposition in that song and Jenny listening to it and thinking about Molly, who thinks of herself as being under the protection of Richie Mm -hmm. and what Richie's protection looks like is uh, not like is harming her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even apart from his literal physical abuse, his protection is separating her from her mother and harming her in that way. Mm -hmm. And And the rest of the world. And the rest of the world. Right. She doesn't leave her house really. Mm -hmm. And when, yeah. And we see that in that, like, her house isn't clean because she isn't able to keep it clean without her mother's help. And he separates her from that help. Mm -hmm. So we see it. I mean, the uh, physical abuse is the most kind of acute. Mm -hmm. But the chronic, what his protection looks like is harmful. And that contrasts with keep me beneath thine own almighty wings, uh, a prayer for protection from God. Mm -hmm. And also like the next verse that I said, even though we don't hear the idea that, uh, that I, with the world, myself and thee, I, ere I sleep at peace, maybe the prayer that they're singing is praying for peace with myself and the world and God. And that's Mm -hmm. what Molly doesn't have, uh, peace with the world or herself. Mm Mm-hmm. Whether she has peace with God is between her and God, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But it's peace with herself and the world that she is does not have. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it, I find it a very uh, moving moment in this episode. Mm-hmm. Let's stay on Molly's story here till the end of this section, which is... Uh, Jenny goes to try and care for her physical health and finds the door locked and she talks to her through the letterbox. But like the door is locked on Molly's side. Molly could unlock it at any time. Richie has told her, you know, keep this bar closed. And it's amazing to me this like she could unlock it at any time. Yeah. Symbolically, I think that's really powerful because uh, just because she's the one locking it doesn't mean she's not locked in. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Exactly. She's still trapped in the house, even if she does have the ability to unlock it, she's still locked in the house. Yeah. And she's... uh... She doesn't know what to do when she goes into labor because despite she's has had a baby before and she has this daughter, she now has a daughter to take care of as well as being in labor. And so what is she supposed to do with her daughter? And Jenny is like, don't leave her alone. And yeah. she And things with Richie seems to have seem to have gotten worse because yeah. uh, her mother was around before. Yeah, exactly. And her mother is not around or not welcome Mm -hmm. to be around anymore yeah i get the impression and this is just me extrapolating that uh molly suddenly accusing her mother of like not being there for her by separating her taking her off to the country that that is like poison that richie has whispered into her ear of like she's he has poisoned her against her mother but that's only like Speculation. Yeah, that's not text, that's but not it text. makes sense. Yeah. The, one of the heartbreaking moments of this episode is the when Jenny says, don't leave Lorraine, the daughter, alone. And Molly says, I would never, I never leave her alone. I love him, but I know him. Mm-hmm. And it's like heartbreaking because... It isn't, she is not, like, she's not deceiving herself. Yeah. She's just devaluing herself. Mm Mm-hmm. She doesn't think he's not going to hurt her. Yeah. Or her daughter. Or her daughter. She just thinks it's worth it. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. 
Yeah, exactly. That's really, uh, yeah, heartbreaking mm-hmm. moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, so she does go into labor, and thank goodness she leaves the apartment mm-hmm. to uh, and brings Lorraine to her mother and brings herself to the maternity home. But she's scared to be at the maternity home. She's mm-hmm. like, Jenny has to reassure her that this is just like giving birth at home. I'll be there the whole time. I like, to what Jenny says in reflection on this in her conversation with Chummy, she says, not all... Or no, it's mature Jenny says it. Mm-hmm. It was then that I learned that not all love is holy. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I, li- I said I like what she says. I don't really like it. Mm-hmm. But I think it's uh, one another arresting phrase that, like... Yeah. yeah. And in the maternity home... Jenny and Molly are talking in the maternity home. Molly goes, I mean, Jenny goes with Molly because she needs someone that she knows and trusts. And that's Jenny. Uh, And she's, Jenny's with her and they're talking things over. And Molly says, my mother used to say, I shouldn't be so romantic. She say, you shouldn't go seeing the beauty when there ain't none. Mm -hmm. But if I didn't, then what would there be to see? I don't know how to take that because that means she's her mother is saying you know don't romanticize Richie yeah but it's what like so many things like so many uh half truths or like lies that we tell ourselves it is so seductive because it's so nearly true mm-hmm. because uh there is a virtue to seeing beauty where others don't see it mm-hmm. and they're not just a virtue but even a like i mean a virtue also i mean it, it's a, a source of hope and it can be a source of inner strength and we've seen that with other characters like seeing the beauty where others don't see it seeing beauty where there is none mm-hmm. uh does sound like a good thing mm-hmm when she says, if I didn't see beauty where there was none, what else is there to see? Yeah. That but her, she recognizes, she again, like, I don't, I love Richie, but I know him. Mm-hmm. I see beauty where there is none, and I know that there is none. And uh, beneath the kind of what seems to be a statement of hopefulness is really a statement of profound despair. Mm-hmm. That... If I don't put my hope and my affection and my love in something that doesn't deserve it, uh, there's nothing else for me. Mm-hmm. And it's that where it seems almost right. Yeah. <laughs> it seems almost right. But uh, what we've seen elsewhere in this show and what I think is true of the real world... Mm-hmm. is that um, you see beauty not where there isn't any, but where others don't see it. And in seeing it, sometimes you can make it, you can help make it manifest. Mm-hmm. And we see, have seen that in this show. Uh, and we've seen, so like the idea of seeing beauty where others don't is like, I'm, yeah, anyway, I'm repeating myself. Mm-hmm. I, I like what you're saying, though. I think that the thing about there being half-truths in lies we tell ourselves is really important. Uh, should we move on to Kirsten? Let's talk about Kirsten. Kirsten? Kier, I don't Kirsten. Know. Kirsten, yeah. Kirsten. I mean, it's, it's Swedish, so she's Kirsten. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Good. I mean, That's an excellent Swedish accent. Paul. I know. I've studied Swedish, you know. I know. That's not Swedish at all. It's just noise, mouth noises. Um, so they get a call from like that a woman is in labor on a cargo ship, and they're and they're like, women aren't allowed on cargo ships. What is going on? 
and brought out to this ship captain whose sister Evangelina is like, this man is German. I don't like Germans. She is very like, let's not trust him. Can I just love for a moment Sister Evangelina just speaking broken German to this Swedish man? Like, I'm yeah. not Swedish. Nicht Swedish either. She's like, speaks German at him still. Yeah, exactly. That's the closest she knows. I just love that moment. Yeah. But of course, because of World War Two, obviously, she is and like, in, everyone's in, German, German's bad. <laughs> well, and in terms of not trusting the Swedish captain, uh, we see that from Mr. Evangelina. We also see Constable Noakes calling, I almost called him Constable Nope, Nope, uh, calling Chummy and talking to her that, that about the report. And he says, who's on duty? Trixie, don't let her go alone. Yeah. Right? That like... Constable Noakes doesn't trust this call either. Mm-hmm. And there's reason, I mean, there's reason, I don't think we need to spell out why they're all nervous yeah. about sending especially Trixie alone mm-hmm. uh, onto a ship with a bunch of sailors and no one to watch after her. Yeah. Uh, I'm almost surprised that Constable Noakes doesn't go with them all the way there, but... But I guess sister basically it's like Sister Evangelina is from the first episode is she's the one in charge. If she's around <laughs> We saw her in the first episode being able to break up fights when Constable Noakes couldn't. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So uh so they go to the ship and like they have to climb this rope ladder. And watching this, watching them have to climb this rope ladder, I felt every step of the way, like my stomach was in my knees. It, that is not a fun thing to do. You're over the ocean. If you fall, you're falling like either into a like hard boat or the literal ocean. Cold. And the rope ladder is not against anything. No, it's, it's just straight... flapping in the breeze. And the boat is moving because it's the ocean. Yeah. We have like on the way there. Sister Evangelina and Trixie, and they come to the rope ladder, and Sister Evangelina's like, Oh, no need asking you to go first. I'll go first. You fix your lipstick while I'm climbing. Oh, she is so... She is so rude. She's so like, rude. on one hand, she is so critical, but she also like, I'll just go first. She climbs up the thing. She is uh, critical, but also fairly magnificent. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, and just... I'll just do it. Yeah. Like, she looks terrified, too. She does oh, not yeah. look... Oh, yeah. She does not... She has a hard time climbing up it and dislocates her shoulder doing so. And before she even starts climbing, we see the two of them in the boat looking up, and they both look terrified. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Sister Evangelina does it. Yeah. And Trixie does it, too. And Trixie does it, too. I liked her praying halfway up, being like, if I've given you the impression I don't believe in you, <laughs> that's... Not... I assure you that I do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then them just taking charge, being like, she is a woman in labor. She doesn't think that she's actually pregnant. Yeah. Which is, uh, they call her obese. I feel like that. That's, Maybe the casting, the casting wasn't, wasn't uh, quite so quite matching the description in the minds of the exactly. writers. Exactly. But because uh, she sure looks pregnant. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um. But they have her in this tiny room. I, I just like this whole exchange where, like, they have her in this tiny room and they're like, we can't deliver a baby in this tiny room. And she's saying, like, oh, you know, speak to my father. I've been asking for basically for an upgrade all along. And then they do move her and he's like, oh, you deserve it. If I deserved it, why didn't you give it to me before? Yeah. Which is, I just think that's a... Oh good moment and this like you said it uh kind of um euphemistically yeah on the way when you were recapping but this moment i remembered this episode and i remembered uh her story but the details of it were fuzzy in my memory and Mm. i had forgotten the details of her situation yeah that like women aren't allowed on cargo ships why is she there she's the captain's daughter who he has brought on board to have sex with all the men on the ship yeah, exactly. so that they will be happy. Yeah. Men don't fight when there's a woman they can go to to relieve their tension. 
And that's like she has this little cupboard of a room and yeah. like it is horrific. Yeah. It is like horrific. Yeah. Just like say that. Yeah, absolutely. This is she is definitely being treated just as bad as, if not worse, than Mary in the the episode with the young fifteen year old who uh ends up kidnapping a baby. The last um, we see of her. We see like we see her very uh matter of fact. Matter of fact yeah. and like she does not seem to be coerced exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh but she doesn't have a choice. Yeah. Like Molly, she's locked into where she is. Like she's not exactly. escaping she's from that on boat. A boat, right? There's no getting out. Yeah. It just there's a lot of ways that you could uh write and frame and tell this story. Mm-hmm. And uh she is like, well, this is why I'm on the boat and that's like she doesn't see mm-hmm. she does not uh present herself as uh victim except of a small room mm-hmm. you know yeah exactly but trixie and sister evangelina both are horrified yeah yeah and then like the <laughs> there's a sense of like uh her whole story is like the writers were like what if the worst possible of everything yeah, <laughs> what exactly. if you had a uh, woman giving birth on a cargo ship uh she has been in essentially prostitution on the ship mm-hmm. uh all this time uh and and the there's no space and then it the boat is shifting around uh sister evangelina's shoulder is dislocated so she can't help mm-hmm. and uh it's a prolapsed cord cord yeah exactly like what else could we have what could we imagine to make everything be bad yeah <laughs> like the, well do you want to tell also... us i mean we saw in the episode uh they kind of explained but do you want to explain what a prolapse cord is um i didn't really look it up actually so i know as much as it's when the cord uh slips out below the baby's head and needs the cord has to be above the baby in order to or else it could uh, tear when the baby comes out and that will cause death yeah. of the baby. Yeah. And potentially the mother if there's a bleed out. So it's just not good all around. And one of the thi- and the thing that uh, Sister Evangelina and Trixie were fighting about at the beginning of the episode is partly that uh, Sister Evangelina thinks Trixie is too flighty, but specifically is about experience. Mm-hmm. Trixie says, in my exp- at the beginning of the episode, in my experience, and Sister Evangelina says, if you had more experience, I wouldn't... Yeah, I would exactly. trust your opinion more. Mm-hmm. And so Trixie is now in this situation of delivering a difficult birth that she hasn't done before without Sister Evangelina's physical, like, hands help, only mm-hmm. her talking her through it. Uh, and she has to, I mean, she has to be the one who is doing it. She mm-hmm. has to be the one who makes the calls and... Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and she does a good job. She, uh... Sister Evangelina is also drinking brandy to make herself feel better. Because <laughs> she's just... like, so she's a surly drunk. Uh, which is <laughs> which go better, bigger. Which of course she is. Just like <laughs> makes everything better. And, uh, but once Trixie takes charge and puts Sister Evangelina in her place, it all goes better. And I love, this is like, a shifting moment for Trixie for me. Like we've been watching season one and I'm surprised at how much I'm like, did I really like Trixie back then? Wow. She's not acting like I expect her to. And in this episode, I feel like it's a real, really good moment of her standing up for herself against sister Evangelina, her, uh, knowing her own confident competence and, and just like she does a good job, she continues to to succeed in this episode all the way to the end. I'm gonna sneeze. Yeah, this is the Trixie I know and love. Yeah, 
competent, uh, capable, like standing up to Sister Evangelina and being right about it. Mm-hmm. Like earlier, she's stood up to people in like because she was petulant. Yeah. Now she's like, you need to trust me so that I can trust myself. And then she makes the right call because she is, knows what she's doing. Yeah. And she then she connects to Kirsten mm-hmm. and is like not just a good uh, technical nurse we see her being good at technical midwifery and then we see her being good at compassionate nursing yeah exactly when she connects to kirsten kirsten like i saw myself through your eyes and uh she's like trixie is really comes into her own in this episode yeah i just this is the trixie i know and love Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. by the time uh kirsten actually gives birth uh she meant she talks about how she hasn't seen other women that she is so happy to be around any other women and then the fact that she has a girl she's like oh i have a girl i have a friend forever yeah and that's just sad like your your newborn baby is not your friend she's dependent completely on you it's uh it's sweet hmm. in that moment but it's also it speaks to her immaturity and not realizing the enormity of this situation and her isolation and loneliness and her isolation and loneliness and it's like this mirror of what we see with mrs gray and molly mm-hmm. that like that we see with mrs gray and molly that because you have a daughter doesn't mean that you have a friend forever exactly exactly yeah mm-hmm Molly sneaks out of the maternity home with her baby as soon as she can. Trixie admonishes the captain and tells him she must see Kirsten every day for the next two weeks. In the ambulance, Sister Evangelina asks for the gas and air. (laughs) Jenny goes to Molly's house with her mother and Lorraine, but Richie snatches Lorraine and slams the door in their face. Mrs. Gray blames herself for Molly's situation, and Jenny narrates that Molly was never home, but the truth was worse. That the children were being left alone while her husband pimped her off to other men. All is discovered when there's a house fire and Molly and her husband are sent to jail. Molly's children are given, sent to live with their grandmother who gets a second chance at motherhood. Trixie visits Kirsten every day and wins over the sailors and Kirsten. She, Kirsten has decided to go home and live on land in Sweden. Chummy sends a letter, and in the clinic, Sister Bernadette sews Dr. Turner's button back on. <laughs> um, Molly running away from the... Let, I mean, should we do Molly first? Yeah, let's do, let's do Molly first to the end. Molly running away from the maternity home back to Richie. I, like, again, we see... Uh, even if he was physically protective of her, we see her putting her physical health in danger mm-hmm. because she's prioritizing his needs. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Running away from the maternity home is dangerous for her health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for her baby's health. Right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I saw her, I was like, I had forgotten how this episode ends. When I saw her sneaking away from the maternity home, I was like, I'll please be like running away. Mm-hmm. But no. 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 She, I think because she knows if she stays away for too long, he's going to be even madder. And so she needs to bring home his boy to him because he was hoping for a boy. And... And him, and he comes to the door when they bring Lorraine back. He comes to the door all like, do you want to meet your baby brother? And he's all sweet. And just slams the door right in their faces. Yeah. He grabs Lorraine and does not let them in. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, the, the end of her story with, the babies were being left alone and her husband was pimping her out 
it felt over the top in some ways, but in other yeah. ways, like they got away, the children got away, but Molly's motherhood was a journey was over. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, like, let's say I thought, uh, I wondered if the, like, him actually pimping her out was like a bridge too far mm. for the episode. Yeah. That like up till then I it was uh heartbreakingly plausible I suppose that this happens. Yeah. So maybe I'm naive. Yeah, that's kinda how I feel is that I feel like it's too far, but maybe I'm just naive. I like I believe her leaving the kids alone mm-hmm. because he wants her to. Yeah. I it felt a little much mm-hmm. that like but maybe I'm naive. I don't know. Mhm. It felt a little much. And it's like also the this doesn't feel too much, but it does feel like I'm he goes to prison good and she also goes to prison. Yeah. I'm like it's awful. It's awful. It's awful. It yeah. brings them both we see the the narrative we see in this episode is that he just brings them both down. Mhm. Uh completely. Mhm. And that her and he, her love for him brings her down. Yeah. And that love isn't always good. Yeah. And up till now, every episode of Call the Midwife up till now has been like, love is the answer. Love is the solution. Love is always the answer. And here we're really saying uh, she does love him. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem. Yeah. She loves him more than her children because she neglects her children for his sake yeah and that leads to her downfall i mean i would uh, horribly tragic i would be tempted to split hairs and say that uh there's a difference between uh love and blind self-destructive devotion Mm -hmm. and maybe that isn't splitting hairs but like uh Maybe it isn't splitting hairs at all. But like the, the, she would describe how she feels as love though. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So moving on to Kirsten. This is again, Trixie being awesome. She yes. stands up to the captain and is like, as easy as it was for you to call for our help, I could have called the police on you. What you're doing to your daughter is criminal. No, I could have. I could. I could, yeah. It's not past tense. Yeah. She and says, I'm coming every week, uh, every, for, day. every day for two weeks. She, he says, we got to leave. And she's like, you are not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the mo- The like... We've had moments of glam Trixie before, but yeah. I have to say, like, Trixie in her, like, black pantsuit with the scarf and sunglasses, like, yeah. and also, like, power. Power. <laughs> power Trixie. The mix of, like, she is glam Trixie with power. Mm-hmm. She was allowed to wear slacks to work. I love it. So she could go and vote. <laughs> yeah. And she brings... Oh, she's... She's wonderful. Trixie in this is wonderful because she not only uh, stands up against him because she says what he's doing is wrong because it is, but then she also uh, isn't like, I will magically fix this. She gives Kirsten like a giant box of condoms because she's like, well, if this is going to happen, you need to protect yourself. Yeah. And And Kirsten is saying you know i'm not going to do that anymore i'm going my telling my father to go back onto dry land i saw myself through your eyes but i think it's a wise decision for her to give her that it's one of these things that like i feel like jenny would not have brought the box of condoms there's like a difference between jenny would have called the police on the captain by now yeah and uh trixie is a little more pragmatic or Mm -hmm. 
for good or for ill, Trixie is a little bit more like, this is the world as it is. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And then, anything else to say about Trixie's story? This section uh, ties I think it everything ends. up. Yeah, I think it ties everything up. It ends well. It ends with Kirsten sailing off into the sea with her baby in her arms and the Swedish flag in the foreground. <laughs> she's off to Sweden. Hopefully she does okay. One little storyline through the whole episode that we haven't really been drawing attention to is just like it happens in little tiny beats. Mm-hmm. Is at the beginning of the episode, Sister Bernadette uh, can't see properly. And Sister Angelina it's like, get your stick! You're no use to your patients if you can't see! Rah, rah, rah. Yep. <laughs> and then uh, Sister Bernadette gets new glasses. Yep. And She's they're up sweep. And uh, the other midwives... Uh, are uh, gushing over how yeah. how good she looks with her new glasses. Mm-hmm. And so this is, we've seen Sister Bernadette already, like, taking off her habit and looking at herself in a mirror. Mm-hmm. And this, we're continuing to build that, like, those seeds here mm-hmm. with her new glasses. And she's kind of seeing herself from a new light and everyone's seeing her in a new light. Yeah. And then the episode ends with, uh uh-huh, Mature Jenny says, love cannot fix everything. And Sister Bernadette sews a button on Dr. Turner's coat. Yep. Dr. Turner hasn't had anyone to sew buttons on his coat. Mm-hmm. So she see- does it in secret for him. Yeah. It's very sweet. She it Earlier sweet. at the lunch, when they're all discussing Dr. Turner too, she's the person who stands up for him. They start, you know, being like, oh, he's run down. I don't know how he's doing. She's like, hey, let's not speak ill of Dr. She says, speak more respectfully of Dr., please. Yes. <laughs> so she's the one standing up for him. So yeah. we'll see how that progresses. It's just a very sweet moment at the end of the mm-hmm. episode. And it's a very, there's something going on with Sister Bernadette. Yeah. Continuing to. Uh, the tiny moment too, where Chummy does send a letter. Mm-hmm. We don't know exactly. It's unclear, but it's to do with Sierra Leone, and we'll find out more in the next episode. Uh, what was your favorite part of this episode of Call the Midwife? I have to say, I think my favorite part uh, is glory. I mean, is is Trixie in her glory. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Trixie walking off, like having accomplished everything she was going to accomplish. Yeah. Having, having near the end, right at the end. Mm-hmm. As a toss up, Trixie's best moments are my favorite moments of this episode. And it's a toss up between her giving Sister Evangelina the gas and air. Yeah. <laughs> and her, but her like glam Trixie in uh, trousers at, or in slacks at work, having taken care of uh, Kirsten as she said she was going to. Having told off the captain, having everybody cheer, like cheering for her, basically, yep. like leaving the ship in triumph. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite part. Yep. How about you? Uh, same, <laughs> but <laughs> no, I think more specifically, definitely, it's Trixie in this episode that stands out for for best for me. Only because Jenny's story and Molly Brignall are so tragic that I can't say it's my favorite at all because it's so awful. Yeah. Even though it's well done. I can Um, sometimes say uh, heartbreakingly sad things can sometimes be my favorite, but not Not in this case. Not in this case. Um, What my favorite, I think my favorite moment is when Trixie... Uh, takes the chair, puts it underneath Kirsten, <laughs> and says, like, if you don't believe in me, she won't, and I won't, and you need to, you know, support me, and Sister Evangelina listens to her, that that's such a moment of triumph for Trixie, and I think, yeah, that's definitely where my favorite moment lies as well. Yeah, and we were talking about, I a little bit on mic, but even more off mic, that, like, why do I even like Trixie? Yeah, exactly. Trixie has been not great in first season and yeah. Christmas episode. Yeah. But like, this is why. This is why. <laughs> she does get better. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening with us. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can email poplar at clockworksacademy.com. You can find us on Twitter at Poplar Opinion. You can 
tell us about your thoughts about this episode, about uh, Call the Midwife in general. We are still would love to get uh, your to hear your birth stories for the gap after season two. We, uh, by this time, you will have heard my two birth stories, so you have a sense of what we're looking for. So if you're interested, please give us a shout if you want to uh, be featured on the show. All right. I have been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat, and that's just my popular opinion. Thank you.